that's the Funky Friday at Five theme, one of its many um, incarnations. And uh, this is a Funky Friday at Five, and I'm Mitch Hampton, your host. And I'm going to do a little um, little introduction here by way of, uh, uh, of discussing things that have come up. So um, there's a wonderful podcast that's actually a Rockford Files podcast, all about the Rockford Files, a TV show, and James Garner. It's called 200 a Day uh, Plus Expenses. And there's two really, really classy gentlemen do it. Uh, Jebediah Ravishaw is their name, and Nathan Palenta. I think I've got those names. They're tricky, tricky names, but they're beautiful names. Nathan Palenta and Epidiah Ravishaw are the co, yeah, they're the co hosts, and they've been doing every single episode of the Rockford Files. And they mentioned our podcast. I was, I didn't, I'm listening, <laughs> I'm listening to the most recent uh, episode about the episode um, Crackback, which is a sort of one of the many shows involving Beth da Davenport and, and, and everything. And they said, well, go listen to Mitch Anthon, Journey of an Esthete. And I'm very, forever grateful to them for doing that. And so there's that. While we're on the subject of the Rockford Files, I also discovered that this past December, we lost Stuart Margolin. Great, great, great character, actor, director, icon of the 70s. Um, and he, was a, he played a character on the Rockford Files named Angel Martin, who was a very slippery, a kind of a slippery character who sort of, he defies all categorization. I mean, you, he's sort of in a way a villain, but yet he's likable and he sort of, he defies all, he, again, he's one of these, one of these um, classically 70s characters that will not, will not give in or resist uh, attempts to pin him down. He's very funny and he's very colorful. That's Stuart Margolin. Angel Martin was uh, was the character he became famous for, but he did many other things. Great director, by the way, too. Any, anyhow, um, he passed in December. Um, of course, you know about David Crosby. Um, there's just a lot. There's a lot going on. The thing about uh, culture and the arts and aesthetics, of course, is that um, many people um, in a given generation or spanning several generations uh, are contributing to this. They, they do many things. They may write music, they may be an actor, they may be a director. And they, they're like, um, they come into the world, you know, and they may make a, 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 a small mark, a big mark, they leave a mark and they uh, trace. And sometimes it, it's uh, good to remember them and sort of talk about them a little bit. Any event, um, I'm really excited about um, upcoming things. I'm excited about, I'm going to be talking to um, Sam Wasson, who is a historian of Hollywood, chronicler of Hollywood. I'm talking to him tomorrow, so I'm recording that episode. Um, speaking of Hollywood, right now, if you listen to Todd Berliner's episode, that's all about Hollywood. So there's a little bit of a movie theme, Hollywood theme. And today, on this particular Friday, I'm going to talk a little bit about something that is both personal, but it's also a kind of, um, it's also a little bit impersonal too, right? Because it involves uh, a lot of human culture, you know, not just me, you know, not just your host. And that is the question of really 
the overarching theme of our podcast, um, which is style and styles. Um, that's a big topic. I mean, I think sort of the question of style is something that, you know, we could spend thousands of hours, millions of hours on going through all those hours. And I guarantee you if that, if there were world enough in time to quote, uh, uh, um, Edmund Spencer's poem, is it Spencer? I, my brain, my Brit lit dyslexia is happening. So I'm sort of world, world enough in time. Um, Andrew Marvel, that's the poet. Um, we would never get, we would never finish. There'd always be more to say, more to talk about. And there would all be valuable and all be relevant. That's how big style is. Style is like, and yeah, Andrew Marvel. Hey, Stacy, Stacy's watching. I'm so excited. We have actually a live audience member watching. Um, you could you can join in any of that any of that. I want to talk about personal experiences in my life that made me sort of the idiosyncratic person that I am today and that loves all this stuff. And I'm going to show you something. Harold Pinter's No Man's Land. Yes, never. Look at this. An interview with Mike Nichols. That's just an article in this playbill. What he's been up to lately. I don't know at this I guess at this time he was doing what's what was he doing? 1977, 76. Oh, he was he was he was um, directing uh, comedians, Trevor Griffiths play, which I saw. So I'm 10 years old, and I'm in one of my summers in New York with my mom and my dad. And one of the things we got to see was John Gilgood, Sir John Gilgood. Sir Ralph, they weren't knighted yet, I don't think. Sir Ralph Richardson, Terence Rigby, directed by Peter Hall, Pinter. No Man's Land. Now, I'm 10 years old, and my dad got these tickets, and we're going to go see this play. And wouldn't you know, <laughs> I laugh because I don't know, I don't know whether to laugh or cry. I don't know. Both. Um, they hated it. Now my dad was a theater maven, you know, and 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 a, and a director, a playwright. They both shook their head. They did couldn't make heads or tails of this play. Hated it. Hated it. Hated it. Hated it. Um, they actually forced me to leave in intermission, so I only saw one act one of No Man's Land. And so basically, it took me thirty years. It wasn't until nineteen ninety five. My friend Jack Wright says, you know, this Pinter, the strange playwright, they're doing his play at the ART. You want to you see No Man's Land? I thought, yes, I want to see Act Two. And there was a production, I think, by um, uh, Patrick Stewart and Christopher, not Christopher Walken. Um, oh, God. My brain. See, this is the problem with brain, brain aging brain. Uh, Christopher Plummer. Christopher Plummer did a production of it, I think, in the 2000s, uh, which I also watched. But, you know, leave it to YouTube, right? All of this production is on YouTube. Not going to play you the full production. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna um, start off with a little uh, quote from. Um, here we go. Style. Now, this book, this book, uh, or this essay on style is sort of like, uh, I don't know, it's kind of important. So I'm going to talk about this, get into this pinter. Okay, the antipathy to style is always an antip antipathy to a given style. There are no stylist works of art. Only works of art belonging to different more or less complex stylistic traditions and conventions. Okay. This means that the notion of style generically considered has a specific historical meaning. It is not only that styles belong to a time and a place and that our perceptions of the style of a given work of art is always charged with the awareness of the work's historicity, historicity, its place in a chronology. Further, the visibility of styles is itself a product of historical consciousness. Okay. Were it not for departures from or experimentation with previous artistic norms, which are known to us, we would never recognize the profile of a new style. Still further, the very notion of a style, quote unquote, needs to be approached historically. Awareness of style as a problematic and isolable element in a work of art has emerged in the audience for art only at certain historical moments as a front behind which other issues ultimately ethical and political are being debated. The notion of having a style is one of the solutions that has arisen intermittently since the Renaissance, it's important, to the crisis that have threatened old ideas of truth, of moral rectitude, and also of naturalness. So, what is Susan Sontag telling us? And what is it, how does this all relate to that production of Gilgood and Richardson and Pinter? Well, and what, and for, I want to ask some questions. So for, what does it mean for someone to be educated in the theater? Aubrey Hampton, my father, educated in the theater, had a theater company, was a Shavian, a scholar of George Bernard Shaw knows more about George Bernard Shaw than I do, which is saying a lot because I've read Shaw. Um, to reject Pinter, what does that mean? What so there's a lot of questions. What does it mean to reject something that's objectively good? Because Pinter's actually great, not just good. I'm going to get to him why he's great in a minute. What does that mean? What's going on with that? What is that about? It interests me. Actually, that question has been haunting me since I was 10 years old. I'm 55 now. I'm still interested in that question. What is that about? What is going on? It excites me. So here's the thing. I'm going to play 
the first few minutes of No Man's Land, and we're going to watch John Gilgood. Is these two old men in a in a in an English club? They're both artists, actually. They're both poets, and there's and there and there's a strange so kind of in a way. What I was interested in when I saw that production is I watched this production, and I was so angry with my parents. I mean, I I cannot even begin to tell you how angry I was with them for robbing me of Act Two. I you know so what is what is what is that about? Why is a ten year old kid interested in these two old men going on about nothing. Whereas my educated, mature, sophisticated parents were totally bored and uninterested. What is, what is that about? What's going on? Um, and interest, it's interesting, right? Most 10 year, 10 year olds would have agreed with my, I think then and now with them, with my parents on that. So where are we here? Gotta cue something up. All right. Now this is a film. This is a filmed. Uh, a filmed. Um, where are we here? So we're gonna pretend you're in the Lawn Acre Theater, and that it's. Uh, oh yeah, there we go. Yeah, seventy-five. So it was done in the same year. Seventy-five National Theater, Lawn Acre Theater, New York City. This was the television grana. Fantastic. Gonna hold this. As it is. As it is. Yes, please. Absolutely as it is. <laughs> Thank you. How very kind of you. How very kind. Your health. Please help yourself. Terribly kind of you. Your good health. What was it I was saying as we arrived at your door? Ah. Let me see. Yes, I was talking about strength. Do you recall? Strength, yes. Yes, I was about to say, you see, that there are some people who appear to be strong, whose idea of what strength consists of is persuasive, but who inhabit the idea and not the fact. What they possess is not strength, but expertise. They have nurtured and maintained what is, in fact, a calculated posture. Half the time it works. 
it takes a man of intelligence and perception to stick a needle through that posture and discern the essential flabbiness of the stance. I am such a man. Hmm. You mean one of the latter? One of the latter, yes, a man of intelligence and perception. Not one of the former. Oh, no, not at all. By no means. <laughs> May I say how very kind it was of you to ask me in? In fact, you are kindness itself. Probably always are kindness itself. Now, and in England, and in Hampstead, and for all eternity. What a remarkably pleasant room. I feel at peace here, safe from all danger. But please don't be alarmed. I shan't stay long. I never stay long with others. They do not wish it. And that, for me, is a happy state of affairs. My only security, you see, my true comfort and solace rests in the confirmation that I elicit from people of all kinds a common and constant level of indifference. <laughs> it assures me that I am as I think myself to be, that I am fixed, concrete. To show interest in me or... <laughs> Good gracious, anything tending towards a positive liking of me would cause in me a condition of the acutest alarm. Fortunately, the danger is remote. <laughs> I speak to you with this startling candor because you are clearly a reticent man which appeals and because you want to... Well, um, so... Um... Um, that's a bit of a monologue, right? And some other character is listening to this old man. Now, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of things in here that at the age of ten I, I did not understand clearly. I don't know. I didn't know. Couldn't have comprehended the um, the queer or, or, or gay context, or the, even the notion of being in in a drawing room like that, or or any any of that really. You know, um, so there were things I was missing in that, but I found it absolutely fascinating. The thing that I was fascinated by was the minute second to second relationship of one human being with another and what is going on with that. I found this absolutely riveting. Now, that's what Pinner does. So Pinner has a style. He, he invented a style, really, actually, in theater, where um, I think the minute-to-minute, second-to-second transaction, if I can use that word, actually, that's my word for it, is where the action is, the drama. And that was his career in his films with Joseph Losey, like Accident and The Go-Between. And I could play The Homecoming with Vivian Merchant. I'm not going to play all that. I was fascinated by that. Now, there's absolutely no rational explanation why I found that absolutely fascinating and why my folks did not dig it at all and were angered by it. So typically the answers people give, like when you ask, well, why doesn't somebody like something, is they usually say something of the following. They usually say, um, it's a problem of comprehension. That, it, you know, it's that you don't understand. If only, you know, you did the effort, the work, you put in the work, you educated yourself, indulged your curiosity, then you will eventually 
um, like it? That's a common answer. Um, I am skeptical of that answer. Um, I think it's Panofsky or E.H. Gomber says it's the opposite. Gomber says that if you don't initially have a liking to something, you'll never actually be inclined to actually then comprehend it. So it's kind of an interesting... So I'm not sure it's entirely, I'm not saying that comprehension doesn't play a role, role. Um, but clearly this can't be comprehension. I mean, clearly, you know, clearly it's, it's, it's one thing. It's basically when I am going to a theater to sit down and watch a play, I have a conception in my mind of what a play is. That is if, a, if two men are talking, they better be talking about in a certain way about certain kinds of things and that there has to be some kind of action in that. And if it did, so it's basically, it's either giving me something I do not want or expect. And so I reject it. So it's actually violating my notion of play or of a scene of two people, two human beings or some kind of reverse. It's actually giving me something, the play whatever it is, any object, this book, <laughs> it's giving me something that I do not want at all. And that actually is not the definition I'm looking for. No, I want the definition. I'm going to sit in my chair. I'm going to watch, going to watch a play. It's got to have Shaw. My dad loves Shaw. It could be, look, it could be anything. I don't, it's not, not trying to disparage Shaw, but Shaw is in a way very different, even though both Shaw and Pinter are English you know, or, or Irish or, or what have you, Shaw's case, Irish. And even though they both are, you know, putting people on a stage in front of a, you know, you sit in chairs and you're watching two people doing stuff. I mean, think of all the theater, which is really the same as this, not that different. So it raises a lot of questions. So I thought, wow, this is really interesting. I'm not the one, I'm not going to write that book on what that's about. That's a, that's a, that's a, um, that's actually a project for, um, you know, psychology, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm thinking about style. This is a style of, of, of stagecraft that's very beautiful. And there's a lot going on here between these two men. And there's gangsters enter the play. And there's, and, you know, it, it, so much happens. There's actually psychological violence. And it has to do with, you know, it's just a lot going on. I found it fascinating my parents did not like it, rejected it. That's uh, that's not a rational thing, you know, anymore. Can you explain why why I wanted to do music? It's the same thing, or, or someone that doesn't want to do music. These are mysterious things. And basically, you know, hopefully human beings follow what they're interested in, follow their passions. And so I thought, well, interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to find different um, scenes involving two characters like this and see what we can come up with that's kind of um contrast or different. I thought that would be kind of interesting. I don't know if it'll work, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. It's tough, you know. Where am I here? Uh Here we go.
And anyway. I'm going to play something from a movie, not a play. And it's from a rather relatively contemporary movie by a former guest of ours, Andrew Bajowski. It's from Mutual Appreciation. And this is two people talking in a kitchen. And um... I can't be involved with you in any way. And I don't, it's not, I think you're a, a beautiful woman or girl, whichever you prefer. Uh-huh. Um, I just can't do it. Um, and what? I mean, I, I wasn't trying to be your girlfriend or anything. Um, no. We go. Okay. Um, no, I know. Um. um, that's too short a scene, actually. I sort of, I sort of feel like that, that, that was just trying to, the person that made this video is just trying to kind of, you know, trying to, um, but that actually those few seconds are kind of, I think are kind of fantastic for those two, two kids, but you know, what do I know? Um, where do we got here? Here we got something. What's the number? Uh, uh, it's on the second book. Now, we're gonna we're gonna go to something um Older, actually, the same year as the Pinter play, seventy-eight, off by a few years. So we're going round, and this is again a, a, ma a male and a female, and this is a TV movie. Is it okay? Yeah, come on in. Ain't that wrong? Talk for life. Oh, I'm sorry. I just I had to talk to Derek. Anything I can do? Thanks. Okay, don't y'all stay up too late now. Okay, you need your sleep. Good night. Come on. Uh, you want a, a drink or something? Derek, do you like me? Yes. I wasn't sure anymore. Well, be sure. I felt really hurt that you didn't like me enough to sleep with me, and that's why I said all those mean things. But I didn't mean them. And I know now that sleeping together is not everything. I have to tell you something. I, I was, uh, I was scared. And see, I'm not as experienced as you are, and I thought... But what makes you think that I'm so experienced? Derek, I told you I had never made love with anyone before. Did you believe me? Well, I wasn't sure. You'd be the first. I just want to be with you. That's sweet. Um, so, all, you know, all those scenes are two people, uh, male and female, two old men, 
Um, you can do a lot just putting two people in a room. It's, it's, and so there's different styles even within like people in close proximity. That's kind of interesting uh, to me. Um, so it's kind of a, um, it's hard, it's hard to cue everything up here, but you got to do it. You got to, you got to um, cue it up. Turn to two people. This is from um, that last, okay, Stacy's asking what that last clip was. Um, that last clip is from a wonderful TV movie called Young Love, First Love with Valerie Bertinelli and Timothy Hutton from 1979, TV movie. Now we're going to one of the greatest movie movies ever made, Blow Up, Antonioni. And this is Vanessa Redgrave and David Hemmings. Um, Who is it? Now, this is interesting. Talk, 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 back and forth. The woman speaks, the man speaks. A kind of a, a kind of a, um, uh, I don't, you know, the, the, the black and white where the two characters are like, you know, I like you, I don't like you, and kind of awkwardness and also seriousness. So it can be solemn, it can be playful, it can be uh, embarrassing. This is Antonioni. This is in a whole other universe. Um, similar material, but landscape and using architecture of a room. And very Pinterest because it's space and silence, as you'll see. And just kind of this interests me a little bit. Hope we can. I should say something very important in this film. In the context of this film, he's supposed to be David Bailey, the famous fashion photographer of the swinging 60s. And she's Vanessa Redgrave, a woman who he was surreptitiously photographing without her consent when she was cavorting with possibly a lover in the park. And so that's the plot narrative background. And so she wants that film. She's like, I want the film. So there is a kind of a conventional sort of power dynamic or suspense narrative is she going to get the film and so that it helps to know that context of their discussion but even giving the um i think the conventional aspect of that i think i think antony does a whole other thing with that it's good to know that vanessa redgrave my bloody pictures. Hmm. That's my business. The light was very beautiful in the park this morning. A 
shot should be very good. Anyway, I need them. My private life's already in a mess. It would be a disaster if... So what? I think like a little disaster for sorting things out. Beautiful. You ever done any modeling? Fashion stuff, I mean. You got it. stand as well as that. No thanks, I'm in a hurry. You'll get your pictures. I promise. I always keep my word. Come here. Now, that scene goes on for like 20 minutes and they don't they don't get it on. Like it's not a conventional scene. I mean, he, he he treats her like if she were as if she were a professional model and says, "Let's see how you sit," and she sort of plays along with him, and it's kind of a, and so that's an interesting case of taking sort of familiar, like a familiar plot, but you know, Antonioni is interested in the beams. He's interested in the that's a formal, and so we've looked at these different scenes, like a black and white of these two kids in the kitchen. And it's very earnest and it's very emotions, very raw. And then the world of Antonioni, these two sophisticated adults, um, it's not quite so immediate and raw. Those are all styles. It's a style, styles of presenting two people together. And I could go on and on. There's so many examples. All these are wonderful examples. And it all goes back to that play of those two men John Gilgood and Ralph Richardson on the stage, sitting in those chairs. And it's kind of the idea of paying attention to the minute second to second thing that there's always something going on with the human being. And the important thing is to pay attention to it. And Pinter wrote that so we could pay attention to those two men that drinking in that room. And that's one of the things art can be about is whether it's teenagers or older people, that's just styles of presenting human relationship. So I thought that would be something to talk about today. And I, I'm sure I've left some other things out, um, but I think that that's a good, we're at a half hour. I'm going to end it now and say something to think about of different styles um, of presenting presenting human representation in art, film, stage, screen, and so on. So uh, to be continued. Um, so look for uh, my show with Todd Berliner and uh, upcoming, uh, upcoming episodes. Um, that's all for now. Have a good weekend. Bye-bye.